thank you for the opportunity. I understand that nobody here really knows me, but I do believe somehow in some way God put all of this together. I do not believe that anything is by accident. And we've come to meet with him and hear from him this morning. And I do want to say thank you to Pastor Rains. His family has been a blessing to our family from a distance through their music and just their testimony and knowing that your dad is here and the, just the generations of faithfulness. It makes a, a bigger impact, far, far more reaching to people that you've never met or don't know. And so I just want to say thank you and it's an honor. My wife and I were excited. Um, it all happened about 8.30 last night when it all came together. And I told my wife, we have quite a few children, and she says, oh, I'm excited to go to Pastor Rain, the Rains Church. This is exciting. And sure, let's get up and go, and let's do it. And so your church has a testimony, and your pastor and your, their family has, to, has a testimony. We sing their family songs in our church, and uh, what a blessing it is. A matter of fact, about a month ago, I don't know if you remember, but I called him just last minute. I tried to get him to come to our church all the way there in Iowa, and it was too last minute to work it out, but we're, we are going to work it out at some point in time. So here we are just passing through on our way. We're actually on our way to the Winston-Salem area uh, and spending some time with my family there. Most, matter of fact, both sides of my, my mom and my dad's family is from North Carolina. So this is the land of my roots. Even though I was born in Iowa and I'm a Midwesterner, I'm a Northerner, I guess you could say. I'm a Yankee. Um, you may not listen to me preach after that, but... My, the, this is the land of my roots. Now, my wife is a southerner. She's from Sugar Grove Baptist Church in, in Fordsville, Kentucky, and she grew up there. And, uh, but anyways, God has us here on purpose, for a purpose, and we're looking forward to spending some time in good old North Carolina and drinking some cheer wine. And I have to explain to my Yankee friends back north that I'm not, I'm not getting drunk here drinking wine, because I bring some of them. You know we don't have cheer wine back home. And RC Colas and Moon Pies, they, they, look, they don't know what that is back in the Midwest. So this is my wife, Charity, and uh, her family traveled and sang. Matter of fact, still do the Epley family. And then uh, my eight children here, I think most of them are here. Some of them are in the nursery, at least one of them. And so they're sitting right over here. Again, it is a privilege to be here. And there's a lot that I'd like to say and a lot I'd like to do. I'd like to tell some jokes, but my dad probably already told them. So we're going we're gonna to get right into the Word of God this morning. Genesis chapter number 1, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter in the Bible, and the first verse in the Bible, the first words in the Bible. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Aren't you glad that we have the written Word of God, the Scriptures? The word Scripture means to scribe, to write. We have the written Word of God. And I thank God that we can have a Genesis. But I am burdened and really concerned as we look at our culture today and we look at my generation and really all of us, whether you've been in Christianity, you've been saved for a long time or just a short amount of time, there is a concern that we have moved away from Genesis. We've moved away from our Genesis. What is Genesis? It's the beginning. It's foundational principles that every Christian need to not just live by, but stand upon and make it a part of their life. And I want to go to the first book of the Bible and reestablish, if you will, or focus on the foundational truths that we must live by. These are the road markers, if you will. They're the, the stripes on, on the road that keep us where we need to go. They're the signs in the road. And Eve 
as we see in the Bible, was destroyed because she forgot her Genesis. She didn't stand on her beginning. You've got to get the beginning right. Otherwise, nothing else will matter. You'll blow it down the road. You've got to build your life on a solid foundation. And the secret to life is just simply living your life by predetermined principles. And those principles are the word of God. My wife and I are young. We have a family. We want them in this dark day to be salt and light and a lighthouse and a testimony. That won't happen if my wife and I just try to feel it out and live it out as the culture changes and as churches change and life changes. No, we have got to get in the word of God, establish some principles that we're going to live and die by. And so these are principles in my wife and I's life that uh, that have been taught to us just straight from the word of God that uh, sustain our everyday life. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you. Everything you need to know really about God and the Bible is all introduced in the book of Genesis. Matter of fact, just in the first few chapters, everything. And then God is so miraculous and amazing throughout the scriptures um, just to deepen it and make it richer and cause us to learn more and more about him. But many people believe that you know, they're, they're, you know, this culture believes it's pretty smart and they got it all figured out. About 150 years ago, they, you know, so smart they figured out science. And they defined it all into five terms. They said all of science can be defined and must abide by the laws of time, space, matter, power, and motion. Time, space, matter, power, and motion. And they were so proud of themselves that they finally figured everything out comes in, everything in the universe comes into the, one of those five words. And yet... We come to the Bible and we see in the beginning there's time. God created, there's power, the heaven, there's space, the earth, there's matter. The Bible says the spirit of God moved, there's motion upon the face of the water. So the first thing that God is trying to tell man is that he controls all aspects of the universe. You see the Trinity as well, the Godhead if you will. God the Father in verse 1, the spirit of God. And then Jesus, the light of the world in verse number 3. Now... Let's just jump in right away, and I would love for you to, uh, in, in our church we normally don't write a lot. I like to write on the table of our heart instead of just on paper. However, this morning if you have a place in your Bible or maybe on a program or somewhere, bulletin or something, if you'd write down uh, some of these things this morning, I'm going to try to give you about seven foundational principles. These are Genesis for every believer, your Genesis. Do you believe these? Many of these, if you've been going to church for a long time, they're going to be very familiar. But I want you to examine your heart, look in the mirror of God's word and say, you know what? Does that look like my life? Am I truly authentically living by this Genesis or these principles in the word of God? So I want you to see the first principle we've already read. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, we come to the first recorded words of God, uh, where, where he's speaking, and the Bible says in verse 3, and God said. Amen. Now look at verse number 6. Look at verse number 6. And God said. Now look at verse number 9. Let's say it out loud together. Verse number 9. Ready and go. And God said. Now we can be louder than that. Come on church. Let's do it together. Verse number 11. Ready and go. And God said. And we could go over and over and over again. We're in the very beginning of the Bible. And God is trying to establish something to you and I today. And to our families today. And to our marriages today. And to our workplace today. And to our lives uh, today. Here's what he's trying to establish. That God's world 
is, is designed to be governed by God's word. God's world is designed to be governed by God's world. It cannot operate. Your family, your marriage, your home, your life cannot operate without the key of God's word inserted into your life. Imagine this morning an America without a constitution. Imagine a bank without money, a body without food, a doctor without medicine, a car without an engine, a game without rules, a school without education, a musician without a song, a traveler without a map, a hiker without a compass, a Christian without God, and then and only then can you begin to imagine a world without God's word. And this is why we are where we are today. If you say, what's going on in our culture? It's because we have taken out the solid foundation of the word of God. Over 12,000 times in this King James Bible, you'll find the word no. Just the word no. Not, not counting all the other meanings and things that the Bible talks about knowing and being assured of, but 12,000 times the word no. K-N-O-W. This is a no so book. Let me tell you, people, uh, this morning, young people, old people, everybody alike, get a Bible and accept it as the word of God. That is perfect from cover to cover. Don't doubt it. Don't criticize it. But stand firm on the King James Bible of God's word and let it begin to have authority in your life. In Jeremiah, the Bible says, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my life. And over and over and over we see, the Bible says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by the word of God. He could just speak and it would come into existence. And yet, far too often in our lives, we do not truly live our lives by the word of God. Hey, how many of you believe that we as Christians should follow in his steps? The Bible teaches that over and over, that we are to follow in his footsteps. How many of you want to be a true Christ follower, a true Christian? I do. I do. I want to follow in his steps. Imagine, ladies, your husband just simply following in his footsteps, being like Jesus. The Bible said he was plenteous in mercy. The Bible said he was slow to anger. If you're a true Christian, you're slow to anger. You're plenteous in mercy. You're full of grace. You're meek. You're kind. You're easily entreated. And the list could go on and on. Following in his footsteps. Where do you find his footsteps? This is his footsteps. When I went hunting with my dad out in, the, in southeast Iowa, the snow would be so deep that I would have to step in my dad's footsteps. Otherwise, I could get lost. I could go my own way as I was looking down trying to chart my own course, but I had to follow in his footsteps. And yet we have the word of God and far so often we do not follow it daily and allow it to govern our world. God's world was designed to be governed by God's word. When it comes to forgiveness, well, I just can't forgive. Just follow God's word. Just follow his pattern, his plan. When it comes to telling others about Jesus, when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, when it comes to raising your children, when it comes to marriage, husbands love your wives. Wives, see that you reverence your husband. Just follow the word of God and you'll have a joy and a peace and you'll be a light like never before. We do a Christmas production at our church and over the, this next year's the 50th year of doing the Christmas production. It's become a huge undertaking. We're talking about months of work and full-time staff just working on it. Last year we did 10 showings and packed it out and even had to turn people away. We'll have something like 5,000 visitors that come in to this Christmas production in our small little town. 
And it takes so much coordination and so much work. We put out a script and the script isn't just the production of all of the scripting and the musical and everything, but in that script is all of the details, everything you need to know. I mean, whether it be the crew card talking about the makeup department or the costume department or the, or the, the, the lighting department or the media department or the backstage department or the animal department. I mean, it's all right there in, in what we call a script. And we'll come down to the day where we finally all get together. I mean, people have been working on this. I mean, people even travel to places and, and, and learn things. And we have semis come in and unload rental equipment and all of these things. And we'll come to the moment where everybody comes together. And there's about 300 cast and crew. And it is amazing. My wife and I laugh and we get frustrated. We have to seem happy on the outside, but we'll go home so frustrated. Here's why. There's always two groups of people, Pastor Randy. I mean, we've been months in production. And there's two groups of people. There's a group of people that show up and they're excited and enjoying the production and knowing, man, we're going to lead hundreds to Christ. And so excited. They, they know where their costume is. They know which door to come in. All the doors are named and stage left and right and all the different areas of production, the fly systems, everything. They know right where to go and they're excited. It's a buzz. And man, we go and the lights go and the first rehearsal on and they know where to go. And then we're just honing in the skills and making it better. And then you got another crowd and they're coming up to you. Hey, what door? I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And they're staggering all over the place. And, and they got the wrong costume on. The women have a beard on it. No, not that. But uh, so totally confused. And my wife and I get fr so frustrated. Here's why. We'll just simply lift it up. And as, as, as non-snarky as we can be, we'll say, it's all in the script. It's all in the script. It's right here. Well, I don't know. And she said I'm supposed to go over here. And, and then he said, uh, and I'm upset at her because I'm supposed to go over and say, it's all in the script. And you know what? When I look at that, Pastor Rains, that little Christmas season of a couple months there, it is a broader picture of the church today. You got a group of people and their families in order. It doesn't mean they're perfect. Their marriage, it doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're in sync and they're in step. They know what door to go in and out. And if they mess up a line, they know how to fix it. And there's joy and there's excitement. And then there's the other crowd that comes staggering in church. Well, I just don't understand, Pastor. And they're sitting in council. They weren't in church, but they're sitting in council, you know, because they didn't read the script. They didn't sit under the script. They didn't come to the Sunday school of the script. They didn't have family devotions or personal devotions of the script. And they're staggering through life just wondering why Christianity isn't quite clicking. And, and they're the ones that will then eventually criticize the production. Well, it just doesn't seem to be very organized. Right? I don't no, you're not organized because you haven't read the script. God's world was designed to be governed by God's word. Let me just ask, are you living your life by the word of God? Do you read it each and every day? Do you put it into your life each and every day? It's a well of pure water when I'm thirsty and dry. Bread when I'm hungry and warm. When the battle is raging, it's my faithful sword. It's a shelter from life's troubled sword. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why is it that the young people can tell you more about Disney and the sodomites that run that instead of the word of God and the spirit-filled men of God that preach that? It's crazy in our homes, even in our Christian homes. We're so caught up into the culture, whether it be sports, whether it be entertainment or hunting or shopping or this, that or the other, when we ought to just simply, and it just, it just takes just a little bit, character every day. 
Look, I, 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 you give me a young man like these three on the front row and have them spend 10 minutes in the Word of God seven days a week and it'll change their life. And yet we don't do it. You say, well, we don't? I don't know. Look back at your week. I don't know you. Do you have a relationship with the Word of God? Do you obey? Does you, is your church spiritually growing? Spiritually. The Word of God will do that for you. Secondly, quickly... Look at verse number two of Genesis. We're just going back to the beginning and just seeing the foundational principles, the Genesis for every Christian. The Bible says, and the earth was without form and void. Verse two, and darkness upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now look at this. In this verse number two, we see no order. It was without form. There's no order. It's chaotic. Secondly, we see lots of emptiness. There's nothing there. It's just empty. Thirdly, there's an absence of light. It's dark. It reminds me a lot of our culture today. It's chaos. I mean, it's chaos. It's craziness. People are empty. Suicide is at an all-time high. Why? Because people are empty. Liquor is pornography and alcohol and gambling. That stuff, it, it's, they're trying to keep quiet how out of control it is. Drugs, fentanyl, opioids. It's out of control. It's emptiness. But wait a minute. We, we look out beyond the walls. But in a lot of Christian homes, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of spiritual emptiness. And there's a lot of darkness. But wait a minute. You know what Genesis number two is? Number one is God's world is designed to be governed by God's word. And it better be. Otherwise, you won't make it. Secondly, we see in verse number two that the Holy Spirit of God works in the hardest of places. The Holy Spirit of God works in the hardest of places. When we come into contact with a living, resurrected Savior and we pray to Him in authenticity and a heart cry, I'm talking about crying out to God, not now I lay me down to sleep or Lord, thank you for, you know, the turnip greens or whatever you eat down here. Uh, you know, Lord, thank you for that. No, I'm talking about meeting with God every day, every moment. Study the prayer life of Jesus. See how He prayed each and every day and all day and He had a passionate prayer life. His life was marked more than anything else but by prayer. Jesus Christ. Getting in contact with the Holy Spirit of God, listening to him. He is our guide like somebody would take me by the elbow in realizing that he is a person. And it isn't that I come into this room and I say, I want to do what I want to do. I want to preach what I want to preach. I want to say what I want to say. No, I've got somebody on my shoulder who's trying to lead me and guide me. It's not my decision who I witness to or who I don't or who I pass a track out to or who I don't. It's the Holy Spirit of God that is trying to speak to me and lead me and guide me. But wait a minute, that same Holy Spirit of God works in the heart hardest of places. You've got a grandchild. You've got a marriage. You've got a child. You've got a co-worker. You've got a church. Look, I've seen it in our church. Seasons where I think, I don't think we're ever going to pull out of this. And people will meet and pray. We've called church-wide fasts before. And we'll just fast for a day as a whole church, whoever wants to, and we'll encourage one another in that. And then, of course, there's the private fasting that you see in the Bible as well, or you wash your face and all that. But we'll call all-night prayer meetings. We go about two hours before people start falling asleep. And we'll just meet and we'll pray and we'll beg God. And I've seen young couples get revived, teenagers get revived, churches get revived. I've seen the hardest of situations. I've walked out of situations this summer. If I told you about, it would make the tears pop out of your eyes of seeing death in the body bags of, 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 of death and of what Satan can do. And thinking the people involved in this will never recover. And yet, not long after that, the sweet joy of the Lord on their life in victory going forward. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit of God. 
When Abraham was climbing Mount Moriah going to sacrifice his only son, hey, God was providing himself a ram. When Noah was building an ark, God was working behind the scenes, the Spirit of God preparing for that rain. When Joseph was rotting in jail, when Jonah was drowning in the deep blue sea, when Elijah was doubting God in exhaustion, when a little boy was standing in a valley facing a Goliath, when David was hiding in the, Saul, in the caves from Saul, when the city was besieged by the Syrians, when Daniel was in the lion's den, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were facing the fiery furnace, when Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go, when the children of Israel were crossing the... The Red Sea, when, the, when Paul was in prison, when Mary was seeing the angel, when Joseph and Mary couldn't find a room, when Herod was raging, when the storm was crashing, when the disciples were fearing, when Peter hadn't caught anything all night, when Lazarus was dead and he stunk, when the Pharisees were mocking, when Judas was betraying, when the crowd was jeering, when the blood was flowing, when the cat of nine tails were ripping, and when it got dark and the tomb was sealed shut. The Holy Spirit of God was still working in no void, I mean, no, no form and void in darkness. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1 in verse number 2, you need to place that right over your life and say, what situation have I given up on? What situation? You've given up on America. You've given up on your family. You've given up on your grandchildren. You've given up on your marriage. I dare a, a husband in this room to go home and get serious about prayer. Get serious about seeking the sweet spirit of God to give wisdom and to give guidance in your life. It'll turn your family around. It'll turn your home around. Is there a young person in the room who's burdened about mom and dad? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The sweet spirit of God works in the hardest of places. When, when, when all else seems lost, one of the most moving experiences I've ever had was going to the funeral of Pastor Bobby Robertson, who was like a spiritual grandfather to me because he was, my dad uh, worked for him for seven years right out of Piedmont Bible College. This is way back in the early 60s. My dad's almost 80. And, uh, and so he worked for him. And so Brother Bobby, as he was known, you know, Brother Bobby Wa uh, Robertson in Walkertown, North Carolina, was his spiritual dad, was like an adopted dad. And they were very close. And my dad did the graveside of Brother Bobby's funeral. And I flew out there. And, uh, man, the funeral was so encouraging. Blessed are the death of a saint. But I remember one moment in particular where they were talking about, man, he had led people to Christ and all that. They were talking about how he was getting ready to cross over. And his pulse quickened and he kind of set up and started breathing heavy and he saw something and a smile on his face and then he just passed away. And a sweet, sweet lady, Mrs. Stevens, some of you may know her, sweet, godly lady who can sing like nobody's business, got up in that southern twang, which is normal to you, but man, I'm a Yankee, you know, I'm from the north. And uh, that southern twang, and she said, there is an unseen hand to me that leads in ways I cannot see. While going through, and she sang that whole song by the end of the song. Even us northern people were standing up, hands in the air, tears dripping off our face. I was just looking through that, dro that drop ceiling to see a hand come down. And I thought, that's the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, he doesn't just work for 90-year-olds who's pastored for 60 years. He'll do it for me. And he'll do it for you. Let me tell you something. If this church, and you may be, I don't know you, but if you would desire for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life and to lead and to guide and to be right with God and, 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 and right with his word, let me tell you something. We'd see old-time revival. Notice the third truth quickly. The Bible said that God says, and he said, verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 11, so on and so on. And he said, and he said, and he said, and he said, and he said. He spoke and there were eagles. Imagine doing that. What would you create if you could just say it? You know, I'd create some pretty crazy stuff. You know, just, you know, 
a whale, you know, a dragon, whatever. You know, he's just speaking the clouds and the sun, the moon. He's creating all of these things with the spoken word. And yet, and yet in our Genesis, this third truth, look at chapter 2 quickly. Chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible says, and the Lord God, what's the next word in verse number 7? And the Lord God, say it out loud, formed. So he came to man and he spoke everything else into existence. And the God of creation, I don't really know how he did it. All, I, all I've got what he wrote. It just said he formed him out of the dust of the, yeah. And so he comes down and he forms man because man is different. He breathes into him an eternal soul. Man is different. He didn't just speak it thousands of light years away like he did a star. I'm different. And principle number three that I've got to live by every, life, every day of my life is that man, mankind, you and I, were always meant to be in the hand of God. And the Bible talks about that over and over. When we're saved, thank God we're in his hand uh, eternally. But watch this. I've seen some of my children as they get older, and I've been taught in, in family series and messages and stuff that one of the greatest things a child can do, number one, obviously obey and listen, but is to take your hand and just to, to keep their hand in your hand, right? Instead of running off and going and doing their own thing. There's a safety in that, and there's a submission in that, and there's a surrender in that. But wait a minute. I've seen when a child will get maybe upset or mad or disobedient, and what do they want to do? Confused. They want to pull away. And that's what we do with our life when we go on an unrepentant sin. We've got things in our life. You say, oh, I'm in the hand of God. No, eternally you are if you're born again, thank God. And if you're not born again, you need to get saved this morning. But man was meant to be in the hand of God. Are you in the hand of God this morning in fellowship? Does he hear from you? Does he know you? Man was meant to be in the hand of God. Let me tell you something. The Bible says the flesh profiteth nothing. Look at this beautiful piano. We have one as well. And somebody donated it to our church. And they said new it was $60,000. They gave over $30,000 for it. And it sounds beautiful. Doesn't this piano sound beautiful? Well, I don't hear it. I tricked you. I don't hear it. I've studied, and this is a bald one. Ours is a bald one. I've studied how they make these in Steinways and the, the different pianos. And, and how they make them, the amount of time and care. They have blueprints. Did you know that? Blueprints for these things. And the handcrafted piano, I mean, the value, they are, watch this, fearfully and wonderfully made. You ought to watch a documentary on making a true grand piano. Let me tell you something, it's beautiful. But that's it. Nothing, no noise, nothing. In the hand of God is when we allow God, and I'm not a piano player, so forgive me. When we allow God through surrender, through obedience, through service, through loving God from a heart, not dead religion, but a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not a formula. He's a person. And many Christians come in, and they're in the good flesh. They look good. Man, everybody talks about them. Y'all just said it even sounded good when I didn't hear anything. And the devil knows that he's not going to get most of y'all to go march in some crazy, woke, liberal parade somewhere. He knows that. He knows he's probably not going to get you down to the club or get drunk this afternoon after you leave church. He knows that. So you know what he wants to do? He just wants to get you in the good flesh. If he can get you to sing in this choir in the power of your own might, he's got you. 
because one day you will not have roots planted by the rivers of water. You will fall. He'll eventually get you. You ever see a preacher or some Christian that you thought was great and you're like, what happened? They're operating in the good flesh and all flesh is bad. But when we surrender our lives, it's what is the hand of God? It's the spirit-filled life, but it is the surrendered life. Die to self each and every day. It's not my will. It's not my plan. My wife and I lost our first two children. and We thought we had life all figured out. And, you know, there was a tendency to say, well, wait a minute. God, what do you think you're doing? And pull away. But instead we said, Lord, your ways are higher than mine. Let me tell you something. God can do something far greater with your life than I can or than you can. Number, number four, quickly. Number four. So we've seen that God's world was designed to be governed by God's word. The Holy Spirit of God works in the hardest of places. Man was always meant to be in the hand of God. This is all just right here from Genesis. This is what the Bible's trying to teach us. Number four, Genesis chapter number two and verse number eight. We just read verse seven. The Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant. Look at that pleasant to the sight. And good for food. Don't you, aren't you glad that God loves food? I mean, angels don't need sustenance. All these... Health people say, oh, no, you don't, you, you, you don't live to eat. You just, uh, you, you just eat to live. You know? No, 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 no. We don't need food just for nourishment because angels have food and they're eternal beings. All right, I sidetracked there. Eating's just for enjoyment too, all right? The Bible says, Lord God, to grow every good uh, tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and a river went out, and he, and he made all things. The Bible says it was good. God called it good. And yet, as we read here in Genesis, we see that Eve was deceived because she didn't leave the choice up to God. And so from Jim Elliot, the martyr to the Alka Indians, we get our fourth principle that we need to live by, our Genesis. And this is what Genesis is teaching us. The Lord always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. How many times have we walked past the garden of God's blessing to pick the fruit of our own destruction? Far too often. And time and time and time again, we go our own way, choosing our own path. God gave Adam and Eve everything that they could have ever wanted. He chose the best of the best for them. Adam chose a half-eaten piece of fruit. They were deceived. You know how they were deceived? Well, well quickly, listen carefully. The Bible says that Satan showed up to Eve and said... If you eat of this fruit, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. Was he lying? Watch out. It's a trick question. Was he lying? Was he lying? He told the truth. But he did, he did it in a deceitful way. Because later on in the chapter, the Bible says that God says, hey, man has become like us knowing good and evil. So he told Eve the truth. But wait a minute. Eve already knew something. Out of the two things that Satan said, you're going to know. What did Eve already know? She knew the good. Young people, please listen to me. Listen to the word of God. Eve knew the good. So what did she just, the only thing she didn't know yet was what? The evil. See what the devil did? He said, look, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. She already knew the good. He bait and switched her. He deceived her. And the only reason that Eve fell was that she didn't leave the choice to God. She took the choice herself. 
thinking, you know what, there's no harm in that. I want to know everything. And then she woke up the next morning and realized, I knew the good. I just didn't know the evil. And now I know the evil. And that's why she's hiding herself. And that's why she's crying. And that's why now she's the mom of a murderer. And that's why she has family problems and the children problems and all the sorrow. Let me tell you something. You know good. And if you young people, you leave a church like this, you're going to have to walk away from a whole lot of good. And you'll still know the good in the back of your mind, but you're going to find a whole lot of evil to leave the old time religion. And you'll say, wait a minute, I thought there was good out there. Yeah, just ask the prodigal son. The only thing he didn't count on was a famine coming in that land. And when the famine came, he realized the bad had no foundation to stand on. That's why he wanted to go back home where there was something that truly was real. God leaves the best. Let me tell you something. All seven of us children would have been married to somebody else. Had a godly mom and dad not followed these principles and begged God and stood up to us. In Bible college and in and, 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 and young adult years and said, hey, 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 we don't pick who you marry, but we pick who you don't. We're mama and daddy, and you're not going down that road. And I bucked it, and there was a story I could tell where I got rebellious in that moment. But thank God that, man, my dad and I had each other's heart, and I feared an almighty God because of the Bible verses and only the grace of God in my life. I, it would be so different. I, would, I probably wouldn't be alive today. But I thought, you know what? It's not mine to choose. And I'm married to the dream of my life and have a, 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 just a life that I feel guilty for having because it's so good. But it's simply there came some crossroads of life of saying, whose choice is this anyhow? God will leave the best to those. He will give the best to those who leave the choice to him. Number five, quickly. Genesis chapter three and verse number one. Genesis three. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Wait a minute. This is pre-Adam and Eve sin. This is in the Garden of Eden. Before mankind has sinned. Everywhere God is working, the devil is working. So principle number five that we live with every day. Some people say, oh, you, you, you know, you're in spiritual warfare. You believe a devil's behind every bush. No, I don't. I believe there's a thousand behind every bush. I believe they're after our children seven days a week. So principle number five that we have to live by every day. Seven days a week. Peter tells us this. Be sober, be vigilant. Is that... The snake is in every garden. He was in God's. The snake will be in every garden. He was in God's. If you think that, oh, we're just a shiny little family and, you know, they're all going to just turn out for God. Bless God. I had set them on the pew on Sunday morning. You're going to have to be in warfare every day of your life. I'm in warfare over the media world. Let me tell you something. The algorithms... The technology those in those devices, those little tablets, the, the saddest thing that I see in my kids, they, they'll, we'll get in the RV and, and watch the Andy Griffith show on our way to Mount Airy, right? You know, but we'll, we'll enjoy some things. But let me tell you something. We, Mom and I got a sword out. Parents are stupid nowadays. I'm sorry. And, and look, I've been there. I've been one of the stupid ones to say, you know, the, 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 he's a snake in every guard. But wait. He's trying in your marriage today. Oh, we're fine, preacher. Yeah, you're the ones we worry about. That's why you're not praying and seeking God. And, and oh, I need the praise and the worship and the repentance and the seeking of God. Wait a minute. He's in this church. I believe he's here this morning. I don't believe that it's flesh and blood. I don't believe that there's any one person that says, I want to destroy this 
But you know what? The, the devil will try to get in anybody or on anybody or press anybody. He will try to hurt this church. And he works in the smallest of things. It was just a, an apple, if you will. It'll be a song. It'll be a, a policy. It'll be a way you work things. Or uh, uh, it'll be a, somebody said something. or Something so small. And millions of churches throughout time have been destroyed because the serpent was in the church and nobody was fighting him. Nobody was fighting him. You better be praying for your pastor. You better be loving him. Look, to find a church like this in America is so rare. Where it's alive, you're excited, but yet it's not a rock club, a nightclub. Thank God for that. It's first class, you're sharp, you're going somewhere. But wait a minute, you better be fighting Satan. You're trying to win the lost and, 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 and save the world and support missions and do something with your life. Why let petty little things start to put a crack in the dam of life to where the water will eventually flood through? Somebody ought to come in repentance this morning and say, God, forgive me. There's somebody in this church, or maybe you come to the early services because they come to the later services, or whatever the case may be. I don't know this church, but I know Satan. He's an angel of light. The Bible says, flee youthful lust. Flee, you can't play around with it. The Bible says, guard, put a bridle in your mouth. The Bible says, keep your body under subjection. The Bible says, uh, seek the Lord daily. Why? Because there's a snake in every garden. He was in God's. Number six. Number six. Imagine living in the Garden of Eden. Perfect weather, Pastor Rains. Perfect nature, perfect peace, perfect husband, perfect wife, perfect culture, perfect everything. If you, I mean, there's no Democrats or Republicans. There's no Capitol Hill. There's no COVID. There's no cancer. There's no nothing. It is a perfect, if you can imagine utopia, I mean, it's perfect. You never grow old. There's no decay. They are in a perfect world. There's no sin. I mean, guys, Adam was the best there. Eve was the best there could be when it came to a wife. Physically and as a helpmeet, she was the original helpmeet, and God designed her to be, I mean, her very nature. The Bible says in Genesis that her desire was to her husband. I mean, Eve had Adam. God chose Adam. So principle number six is this. Better circumstances will not create a better life. They still messed up. They still wanted more. They had everything. There's no, the wealthiest man on the face of this earth didn't have anything compared to this. They would give up every dime to have everlasting life like they did before this fall. No decaying, no problem. I mean, perfect world. And yet better circumstances will not create a better life. What made the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden? What made it so perfect? God did. He was walking with them and talking with them. It wasn't the environment. These woke people, oh, it's the environment, and, you know, they're oppressing it. No, 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 no. Anybody and everybody can go meet with God for themselves. We believe in the priesthood of the believer, don't we? And if I just had a better husband, you know, if our church, you know, I wish we were like this church over here. I just wish, oh, shut up. Go get with God. You know, I tell you what, if, if I just, if my job was better, I'd show up to church more. No, you, you just have an idol. And it's money or food or your your belly or whatever, or, or your work, uh, you know, if, you know, if I just didn't have health, I, th I think I wouldn't be so critical, bad health, I wouldn't be so critical or negative, no, better circumstances won't make for a better life, Jesus makes for a better life, he was the difference maker, God came down and walked in the cool of the day, and that's why there was a difference, let's close with number seven quickly, number seven, 
want you to look at Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15. The Bible says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Hey, let me tell you something. How many of you know the difference between a head wound and a heel wound? There's a big difference. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ and Satan. Jesus Christ is introduced right here. And principle number seven is this. Jesus Christ is the only answer that we have in this life. And it's the only answer that we need. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the light of the world. In him there is no darkness at all. Jesus is a difference maker. We've got to get busy telling the world about Jesus. I'll close with this story. I was flying out of the Des Moines, Iowa airport on my way to Mexico for a youth conference. And my wife and family came over at Des Moines about two, two and a half hours away. And they came over to spend the night before I flew out the next morning. We were just having a little family time. And I had booked online. I didn't know the hotel. And I used one of these cheap websites. And it was a Ramada that I thought, well, it'd probably be decent. But it, it was pretty rough. And, and we arrived. And we were getting everything un, un, unpacked. And my wife heard some fighting on the wall, just right, you know, these thin hotel room walls. And, and she heard some things over there. And I came in the room. And I said, Charity, let me tell you what I just saw outside. There was a woman outside of her car. And she had been throwing up because she had been hit in the head and, and beat up. And there was blood all there. She had been, she was being beat up. She was being abused. It was horrible. And I said, look, I'm going to go to the front desk and get somebody back here to take care of them while we call the police. And so I went to the front desk and, and I was taking care of things. It took about 20 minutes and I was watching because as I walked back out of my room and past the room, I heard this man just screaming and hollering. And the woman went back in the room and I thought, man, somebody's going to die in that room. You know, you're a real tense moment and I was real upset about it all, you know, and I've got all our little kids there. And we were going to check out and get out of there, you know, because I thought if he knows I call the police, they'll come kill me. And I don't know what all's going on. So anyways, it took a little while. I'm out of the room calling and I'm at the front desk and the maintenance guys are going back around there. Well, they both were in the room and they said, we're not going to knock on the door because we're going to let the police do that. So we were waiting. I'm out there talking to them. And finally, the police came and I walked in the room, my room, our room. And my wife was crying. We had one of our children, I don't know which, was just a newborn little baby in diapers sitting there on the floor. And my wife was crying, and she said, Joseph is the most awful thing. She says, in all of the most vile cursing and things hitting the wall, I mean, it felt like the wall was coming down, and fighting and cursing and just darkness, just tore your heart out. And she's just crying. She says, in the middle of all of that, she said, I heard a little baby crying. And that little baby over there was just bawling and crying and crying and crying. And she says, I sat there and I was getting so angry and so scared for that little baby over there. And then you'd hear, ah, just cry out this little baby. And she said, and then I looked down, playing with some little toys on the floor in the most peaceful room was my wife. And a little baby, Jesus loves me, this I know. And a husband who's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I come walking in the room, honey, it's okay, I love you. And she's crying and she said, Joseph, and the statement, man, it got me. Sometimes women can preach better than men. She said, the only difference between that one foot wall is Jesus. So much peace and so much joy and love and memories of a lifetime and happiness and joy. And over there was hell on earth. What are we doing with our lives? May we spend our lives 
going about it, whether it's at a gas station or on a mission field or up and down the road, handing a track and telling somebody about Jesus. Not every fish will bite, but you can make a difference in one. And this is what Genesis is trying to teach us. As we look at these foundational principles, can we examine our hearts this morning? Where are we? Is there one of those that we've strayed away from? With their heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just say this. As the pastor comes, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? He's not a formula. He's not just a prayer you pray. He's a person that you believe on. For God so loved the world that he sent baptism. For God so loved the world that he sent a prayer. Is that what happened? For God so loved the world that, that, that uh, he sent a church. No, thank God that he gave us a church. He died for the church. Thank God for that. For God so loved the world that he sent catechisms. For God so loved the world uh, that he sent religion. No, for God so loved the world that he sent a person. Have you placed your faith and trust on him today? Are you like the man who got up on the, the train car about 100 years ago with his friend? He was wealthy and he wanted to show off to his friend. And he got on this car and they were ready to go. He had his tickets booked and the conductor jumped up on there and said, Sir, you and your buddies got to get off and get on the car in front of you. He said, Why? He said, Sir, just please. We're in a hurry. Would you please do that? We got to go. And he said, No, 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 no. He said, I paid for this car. He said, It is true. You have a ticket. He said, uh, is this car just as nice as the one in front of me, this train car? Well, yes, sir, it is. Matter of fact, it might be nicer. He was embarrassed. He was enraged. He said, well, I'm not going to get off this. He said, is it just as safe as that one? He said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And he said, well, then you give me, conductor, one good reason why I've got to get off this train car and on the one in front of me. And the conductor very kindly said, because, sir, this car's not connected to anything going anywhere. Are you connected to something going somewhere? Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Secondly, the wages of sin is death. God hates sin and will destroy all sin. Why? Because of what it does to you and what it does to me and what it does to marriages and what it does to his beautiful world, that he, that he, the people in the world that he made. God hates sin and will destroy sin. And last time I checked, this pulpit of wood don't sin. It's you and I that sin. These pews don't sin. This carpet don't sin. My dog don't sin. You sin. And God says, I'll destroy sin, but I don't want to destroy you. So he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. And he said, if you'll put your faith and trust on him, you'll turn to Jesus only. He'll save you. Pastor, you come. With heads bowed and eyes closed, don't wait for somebody else to get out. Let's all stand together. And would you come to an altar? Let's do business with God. And let's seek the Lord while he may be found.